0: Hello and welcome to the Church Can Happen Anywhere podcast. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor at Peace Street. We're continuing through the season of Lent with a message from March 20th. If you've tuned into this podcast lately, then you'll know we're using a new book written by Amy-Jill Levine called Witness at the Cross, A Beginner's Guide to Holy Friday. And this is helping to guide our Sunday morning worship as well as our small group discussions and our Thursday morning Bible study during this season. My most recent message considers the centurion and the other soldiers whom the gospel writers include at the scene of Jesus's crucifixion. And I pose these questions. Who are your enemies? And why are they your enemies? I hope that you'll invite the spirit into your space, wherever you are right now, as you hear this word, friends, we got to talk about March Madness for just one moment. Just one moment. Uh, first, just to say, this is the the end of spring break. Amen. Don't, I, well, maybe I shouldn't say amen. I should have said amen at the beginning of spring break. Oh, it's the beginning of spring break. Amen. Uh, but it's the end of spring break, and we got kids going back to school tomorrow, and we're getting back into a normal routine. But I'll tell you what. It's really hard to prepare a sermon and a message when there's so much good basketball that's being played over four days, and when you're coming off a spring break with your family. Uh, but I feel like we do have to... I said the word grieve a second ago. We have to grieve together, don't we, church? That Tigers game last night, boy, it, it was a good game. And Dr. Durbin and I were talking beforehand saying, we wish they had played that way all season, that they were healthy all season and, and had a chance to to, to work as a, as a unit, as a team, where everybody could could have been clicking on all cylinders. I don't want to forget about my volunteer fans that are out there, too, because that was a—I had them going a few more rounds in my bracket— they they busted up my bracket uh, last night, and I'll I'll say f- for my my wife's sake, uh, she is a racer. She is uh, an alum an alumni of or alumna of Murray State in Kentucky. Who would have thought that the 15 seated St. Peter's Peacocks of all teams uh, would have beaten, will first Kentucky, but then Murray State. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I had Murray State beating Kentucky and going to the Sweet 16. So again, my bracket has been ruined. A a 15 seed, the third 15 seed, uh, all of tournament history to go to the Sweet 16. Okay. So I'm glad I got that off my chest. If you're watching online, what shocked you the most yesterday? Uh, because I'll tell you this too, both of my children are, are, have better standings in our family pool right now than me. My six month old tomorrow has a better bracket than mine right now. And I think Harrison's the first in our family. Uh, so I say all this uh, first off to get it off my chest, but also just to say that sports uh, in general makes me think about rivalries a lot. Sometimes, so it brings out the best in us. You know, when you see uh, players kind of battling from behind, that uh, Baylor game, right? Okay, you know, battling from behind, trying to tie it up, taking it into overtime. You see uh, players encouraging one another. Uh, the pep talks in the locker room. Uh, you see the the way that those adults just pour in, pour into these students. And you for oh, you want to you want to talk about Arkansas making it, don't you? Okay, well there you go. You know, we were grieving Ed. We were grieving together. We'll celebrate later. There there the, the the joy comes in the morning. Okay, you see the best out of people, but you can see the worst out of people too, can't you? You can see the worst out of people when it comes uh, to the way we handle some of our rivalries, to the way that we, we handle the way that these close games are played. How quickly I'm able to, to view uh, just a normal person on the street walking into an arena, and then uh, to view them as the game goes on, waxes and wanes, to to see them as an enemy. And I mean that word, uh, you know, maybe in the way you're thinking, as an enemy. Okay, so maybe not like a life or death enemy, maybe not like some, like I have to fight this person tooth and nail in order to make it to tomorrow, but to, to see this person as an enemy somehow, a way that causes me to despise the other team's coach, the player that is is showboating out there. Of course, if that was our player, I'd love that player. (laughs) To look at the other fans in such a way that it it just, it, 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 it brings out feelings that you didn't know were there. Tell, uh, yeah, I wasn't planning to share this story. I was a college mascot. I'm not sure if you knew this about me or not. I was a college mascot for the Wofford Terriers, and, and before you ask what kind of terrier, we were a Boston Terrier. So I had a black and white a suit, a very big head. Uh, my dad would tell you I have a big head for other reasons. You know, don't don't congratulate him. They'll give him a big head. Uh, I had uh, this huge helmet I had to wear. If I didn't have a jersey on, I looked like a skunk. Honestly, the black and white mascot uniform, and we made it to the semifinals in the Division I football playoffs. So this is, this is back in the day, if I say BCS, some of y'all know about BCS football instead of the, the playoff series that we have now. But the Division two school, uh, two-way schools always had playoffs. We had to go to Delaware to play in the semifinal game, and we thought for sure we were going to win, we were going to go to the finals. And I, I, kid you not, the University of Delaware has the worst fans in the country. <laughs> at least in my opinion, their band came up to us, our student section, and started blasting all those horns right in our faces. Now I was down on the on the field with the cheerleaders, and at halftime we went to the the locker room, or we went under, you know, we went to the concourse to get a drink, to get a snack. When we came back out. The security at that school had allowed the students to jump over the fence and to take our big flag, like the huge flag that you run after a touchdown. They ripped that flag up to pieces and they took the pole that I would run with and they they broke it up into pieces. I was livid, I was ready to fight in my mascot uniform though. Like I was ready to fight the other mascot he was really spry. He was really nimble. Okay, so again, I'm telling. I would never want to fight a person normally, but if you you know you rip up our school's flag, you you blast trumpets and uh, French horns and sousaphones in our faces, how could you not be upset? How could you not want to fight that fan base? Uh, okay, so I say all this, and this is playful, and it's and it's fun, and it's. It's what's happening right now. It's in the zeitgeist. We're, we're, watching, we're watching basketball. The two worst productivity days for our economy were Thursday and Friday because everybody was trying to watch it on their work computer. And so while we talk about our basketball opponents as our enemies, we realize that that, that word carries a lot of weight. There are actual enemies out in the world. There are spiritually dark forces that are our enemies as well. We look to Ukraine, we see that there are families being separated right now. We're seeing millions of refugees pour into neighboring countries. We're seeing citizens defend their homeland against an enemy that has invaded their sovereign nation. And, and I'll say this too, it might be easy for us to paint Russian forces as just completely evil. And yet, because we have these, and people are able to document what's happening in real time, we have on the ground footage of Ukrainians who are taking in uh, soldiers who are defecting, soldiers who are being forced to fight, young men, 18, 19 years old, the same age as some of the kids that were, were watching in the NCAA March Madness tournament, the same age with rifles in their hands being forced to fight in this conflict. They just miss their families. They're going hungry. They didn't bring enough rations. They're afraid to return to their home country for fear of punishment or torture or worse. There are real enemies out in the world. There are real enemies on the spiritual plane. And so today I want us to consider, what does that word mean? What does it mean to have an enemy? Who's your enemy? Why are they your enemy? Do you see someone in your head right now? Can you think of somebody who you have classified as an enemy? For the people of Israel living during Jesus' time on earth, uh, the simple answer would be the Roman Empire, the occupying force imposing their will and their culture on the people of Judea. That is the enemy. Their rulers, someone like a Pontius Pilate, their soldiers, even the local government that's been put into place as puppets, like King Herod. Those all might be considered enemies of Israel. And yet we see stories from Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7, where Jesus heals a member of a Roman centurion's ho- household. Now, this person, it's possible it was a slave or a servant who worked in that Roman centurion's house. You could also translate the Greek word there to mean child. Could have been his own flesh and blood. But Jesus performs this miracle due to the amount of faith and trust that the soldier exhibits, going so far as to say that the centurion's faith is greater than any he had found in Israel. Imagine that statement coming from Jesus if you're a Jewish person living in that time. This Roman soldiers faith is greater than any of us the, the children of abraham that's what jesus says and no one have i found such great a faith in all of israel and this is not what we expect jesus to say about the enemy Now, if we jump ahead in Matthew's gospel, we see more Roman soldiers at the crucifixion, including a centurion who makes a profound statement. So let's read that passage now uh, from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through uh, 54. Now, I say that. I'm going to read from this screen here. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land, until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and and appeared to many. Now, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly this man was God's son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Truly this man was God's son. Another way we could translate it or paraphrase it, no doubt, This man was innocent. That's how Luke translates it. That's how, in his gospel, he accounts for the crucifixion and the centurion's witness. Now, whether it was an earthquake that caused them to believe, or if it was Jesus' words before he breathed his last... Somehow, this centurion recognized that God was present with Jesus, that Jesus himself was a righteous man, that he was the Son of God. And this was spoken by someone who was just moments ago, I think many would consider, an unbeliever. Truly, this man was God's son. Just moments ago, rolling dice, picking lots, the short straw, to see who gets his outer garment, to see who gets his robe. This statement, no doubt, this man was innocent. It was uttered by someone who was deemed an enemy. I sometimes wonder if I give my enemies too much credit, am I too reliant on scapegoats, on blaming others for my misfortune? I think it was President Truman who said, the buck stops here, talking about that buck knife that would come before that resolute desk. Have I been passing the buck? Have I been shirking responsibility? Have I been saying, well, no, it's this person that caused it. It was my my enemy. Maybe I'm relying too much on this crutch when I should be leaning on the cross. Maybe I should trade in the crutch for the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And perhaps this reliance on other things, on passing the blame, on not taking responsibility is why we have the discipline of fasting during Lent, to understand how dependent we have been on other things that are not God. Have I been relying on somebody else uh, to validate me? Have I been relying on food too much? Anybody else like eat their feelings? When, that game, when those games were over and my bracket was busted, I was like, where, how, where are the Girl Scout cookies? Do we still have some left? Do we have the Girl Scout? Did I finish them after the last game? That busted up my bracket. How dependent am I on this? I mean, I, I praised this a second ago for the way it's showing us the war in Ukraine and that conflict But how dependent am I on this device, on our screens? Guilty pleasures that make us happy for a fleeting moment and then cause us grief the rest of the day. Maybe I've depended too much on hating my enemy Can I, should I fast from that? I think I should. Maybe it's too easy to blame someone else. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. The bad day that I had, my enemy's enemy's fault. My poor health. The horrible call that led us to losing the game. How small my paycheck seems right now and how thin it has to spread the overall quality of life. Is it truly their fault? You know, they, whoever, who is they? It's their fault, they did it. Them, they're the ones. Or have I spent too much time blaming others that I have forgotten to look to God? to supply all my needs? Have I forgotten to depend on God's hand instead of my own hands? Have I forgotten what Jesus taught about enemies, which is to love your enemies? That's, that's gotta be one of the toughest things that Jesus has ever taught, isn't it? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's what blows my mind the most about this scene in Matthew's gospel. That Jesus would have prayed for these men who were gambling for his clothes. That Jesus would have truly loved them even as they crucified him even as they carried out his execution, as if they were the ones that would have hit him over the head and stood over his body with a firearm pointed at him. And yet he still says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Do you feel like you're hanging from a cross today? Who put you there? Who drove the nails through your hands? and whipped your back? Who is your enemy? Now, when was the last time you prayed for them? When was the last time you prayed for your enemy? Not cursed their name, not wished them ill, but actually prayed for them. A centurion, an enemy of Israel, sought out Jesus for help early in Jesus' ministry. He asked him to heal his loved one. And that centurion was praised for his faith. And we see at the end of his life on earth, another centurion confessing Jesus as the Son of God. And through the ages, the church has revered this soldier. They have lifted up this centurion for the faith he demonstrated at the foot of the cross. And so I hope that you will consider the centurion, as you make your way through this week, and that you'll remember that even those who oversaw Jesus' crucifixion, they witnessed a miracle and they recognized the Savior's righteousness. And friends, if there is hope for them, then there's hope for us. And there is hope for our enemies. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church can happen anywhere, and I pray that God has met you today right where you are. I don't know what you're experiencing right now with your family, with your work, or which life decisions that need to be made, but I trust that God is with you, and I hope you know that God is ready to guide you through any situation you are going through. If you live in the Memphis metro area, if you're in Germantown, or Carrierville or in Olive Branch, I hope you'll connect with us in person sometime soon. We have a lot of things that are happening here at Peace Street in our small groups, our house groups, and also in our building, uh, this, especially this week. It includes open play for pickleball starting back up. We've got a new pickup basketball night, a new family literacy program sponsored by our friends at the Shelby Literacy Center. That's all beginning this week. Plus, we'll be hosting the Guatemalan Mobile Consulate on April 2nd and 3rd inside our building. So reach out to us over our website, peacetree.church, P-E-A-C-E-T-R-E-E.church, or message us over social to learn more about any of these upcoming events or to find out more about Sunday morning worship. You can search for Peace Tree UMC, or you can use the links that we've included in the show notes please consider subscribing to this podcast if you haven't done so already and tell your friends about us. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon.